The following audio is from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com. Well, we all grieve in different ways and at different speeds. And one of the ways I've processed my emotions for a long time is is by writing. And uh, so I wrote a little thing that uh, is going to be on CNN.com in a day or two. But I wanted to share it with you guys first as my family. July 4th was a different kind of 4th for us in Prescott. It marked four days since a wildfire, one that seemed small and harmless for our neck of the woods, stole the lives of 19 Prescott heroes. They were known as the Granite Mountain Hotshots, but to us they were sturdy, sweaty, smoke-stained neighbors, dads, friends, husbands, sons, and uncles. If you stood next to one in a grocery store line, you could smell the smoke on their fire pants. They were the strong shoulders and backs who voluntarily ran into danger day after day to protect us. Just two weeks ago, they ran toward the 200-foot flames of the Dose Fire, diverting it away from many of our own neighborhoods. And by the way, uh, one of the fire chiefs read this, and I had written 60-foot flames. And he said, oh no, the the 60-foot pine trees throw off 200-foot flames. I'm a pastor, like... Many in Prescott, the recent days have been a nonstop chaotic rush of emotion, effort, and helplessness. My focus has been helping firefighter families from my own flock and counseling others directly involved. I've also been doing my best to help our community, a smallish city with the slogan, everybody's hometown, to grieve, mourn, and express support to the surviving families. I went to my church office on the 4th of July, hoping for some quiet. I knew nobody would be there on a holiday afternoon. As I pulled into the empty parking lot, I realized we still hadn't dropped our flag to half-mast. I guess we'd been too busy trying to pick people up. I set my briefcase on the concrete and made my way over to the flagpole. It was strangely emotional to feel the raw, weathered rope threading between my hands. I watched the gigantic flag stoop lower and lower until it found a posture more befitting the heart of our broken community. As the flag lowered, a kaleidoscope of memories rushed into my mind. The eerie silence on Sunday night as families, firefighters, police, friends, and pastors gathered at Mile High Middle School to learn the names of the 19 who perished. The officer who had the unimaginable job of knocking on the doors of the young wives and fiancés to tell them their man didn't make it. The widow, the night of the news, who approached me because we stroller our young children in the same neighborhood. The lone surviving firefighter still smelling of smoke agonizing in grief, surrounded in a huddle of compassion. The wife whose husband would have been with the 19 had he not taken well-earned time off. The fire official who climbed the mountain in the dark and spent the night next to the fallen men, protecting them, being with them, 
demonstrating the undying strength and loyalty of a true firefighter. The church gathering where 40 of us surrounded a young mom and her girls, crying and praying together for them. The community gathering where thousands of us gave standing ovations, love, and words of affirmation to the grieving families. The 19 purple balloons we released into the heavens, acknowledging the reality of our hero's departure from this life to the next. Surrounded by emotions like these, we sometimes wonder, if there's a God who is good, then why do tragedies like this happen? I was thinking that on Tuesday night as I stood before the thousands of Prescott residents attempting to comfort them. The massive crowd disappeared as I locked eyes down front with the families of the fallen, the shell-shocked young widows, the middle-aged moms who had cuddled and cared for these heroes as growing boys, the little boys and girls who still don't understand that they'll never see their daddies again, at least not in this life. To me, it's not comforting in a moment like that to simply proclaim God is in control. That's true, and it's comfortable if you're a spiritual giant or if you're out at the edges of a tragedy. But when you're struggling to keep your head above the water, at the very center of the storm, it sure doesn't feel like God is in control. At times like this, I told the families, we might wonder, is God mad at me? Did God do this because I did something wrong? It's a question some have asked me in private. It's a question we all ask at some point in our lives. And it's a question I can answer for you. God is not mad at you. He's not punishing you. For those of us who believe in a creator God, Scripture says he does not create or perpetrate evil. He's not the author of death, but of life. And in the end, he's going to defeat evil and death. Presently, though, we live in a world infected by evil. The result is tornadoes, hurricanes, and in our area, lightning ignited wildfires that destroy and kill. When God saw us agonizing in the fallout of evil, he so loved the world that he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, down into the world so that everyone who believes in him will be delivered out of this brokenness. It was Jesus walking among us who said, greater love has no one than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. He was referring to his death on the cross for us. But his words declare a universal truth. There's no greater love than to sacrifice your life. And we, the people of Prescott, will be forever loyal to these firefighters and their families because they laid down their lives for us. In this devastation, Prescott has shown itself to be an incredible community. Everyone wants to help. Everyone loves these surviving families. I expect people of many faiths and probably even people of no faith to join us in standing with these families for months and for years 
long after the Red Cross vans and the TV news vans leave town. For many Prescott folks and firefighters and police officers who share my faith in Christ, we will live out these words from Isaiah 61. The Lord has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to comfort all who mourn, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities. Hotshot crews are taught to keep one foot in the black, that is the area that's already burned, and another foot in the green, the unburnt forest. From last Sunday forward, we as a community will always have one foot in the black, burned area of our grief, and we'll also in time have another foot in that green, new life, healing my wife, who comforts me so I can attempt to comfort others, probably put it best. when She said, our town will recover. It will heal eventually, though not fully. The pain hasn't been kept from anyone. And I'd like to talk with you this morning about that pain, the pain that hasn't been kept from any of us. These ripples that move out from the center of the tragedy and affect all of us in this community and so many of us in this body. Tragedy is going to come into our lives. The question is, who will we be? How will we respond? Today we're going to look to the God of all comfort, the God of hope, because what other hope is there? In moments like these, when you, when you go to meetings where there's, there's no mention of God or eternal life or His hope, they're so empty. They're so void. I mean, there's, there's only so many little mementos we can make and, and things we can do that give us hope for this time. But, but what kind of eternal hope is there? And that's a hope that we can find in God. I want you to know today that God's heart breaks with ours. Did you know that God grieves with us when death steals our loved ones? Did you know that he grieves with us when death tears our community apart? Uh, where is God when you're hurting? Psalm 34:18 says he is near. He's near to the brokenhearted. He holds up those who are crushed in spirit. Psalm 23 tells us that when we walk through this valley of the shadow of death, he is with us. He will never leave us or forsake us. He's right there closer than a brother with us in our sorrow. Psychologists tell us that most of us, when we think of God... We have a view of God that comes from our earthly father. And so for many folks who grew up without an earthly father, when you think of God, you might think of him as really absent. Uh, for others, many in this room, when you think of God, you might think of him as kind of stoic, like your earthly dad. Maybe you think of him as someone who's kind of not too emotional, not too moved, not one to weep or to cry. Did you know that's not the case? 
Scripture tells us that God is concerned with the details of our lives. Uh, He knows when every sparrow falls. He knows the number of hairs on our heads, even as they decline for some of us. God bless our youth and the way that they comfort us in our affliction. I saw one of the teenagers on Wednesday, and their one big thought from Tuesday night was, Hey, how you doing, Mr. Receding Hairline? And I said, Well, thanks for comforting me, man. (laughs) God knows the details of our lives, and he feels our pain. When he came down in the person of Jesus Christ, he had the name Man of Sorrows. God knows what it's like to be sad. He knows what it's like to weep. He knows what it's like to be rejected. He knows what it's like to be called names. He can relate to our physical pain because in Jesus, he felt our physical pain. He knows what it is to be cut. As a carpenter, he surely knows that feeling when you get a sliver under your fingernail. He knows our pains. He knows what it is to be tired. He knows what it feels like to be sleepy. And Jesus knows, God Almighty knows what it is to cry when you've lost someone you love. We find that story in John chapter 11. In John 11, Jesus gets word that a friend of his, Lazarus, is sick. And by the time Jesus arrives there, Lazarus has been dead for three days. It would be like Jesus arriving to Prescott on Wednesday of this week. And, and everyone is, is mourning and they're weeping. What does Jesus do when he arrives? Does he, does he get up and deliver a sermon? Does he rebuke them and say, hey, if your faith was stronger, you wouldn't be sad. If you really believed in God, you wouldn't be troubled. No, he doesn't say anything like that. You know what Jesus wants when he arrives? The same thing that we're going to do today when we watch that procession of those 19 vehicles bring those 19 bodies up here. Jesus says, where is he? Where's the body? And it's as they lead him to Jesus' body that all of a sudden this, this grief kind of breaks through and he begins to cry. And Jesus knew how to cry. Remember the Garden of Gethsemane where it says he was crying so hard that he fell down on the ground? He turns to the disciples and he says, my soul is weary to the point of death. Jesus knew how to cry. You see, God himself weeps with us at the reality of death. Did you know that? God is not ignoring our pain. He's not unconcerned about our pain. We're told in Romans 12, 15, it's Christ-like, it's God-like to weep with those who weep. If you're out at the edges of this tragedy and you have great confidence in God's sovereignty, praise God, we need you around. Please be sensitive to the people who are weeping Weep with those who weep. John 11 tells us, When Jesus saw her, Mary, weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit. You know, God, when you're moved, that he's deeply moved with you. When you're troubled, he's troubled with you. Where have you laid him? He asked. 
Come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. Here's the God who created the galaxies with just a word. Here's the God who got his hands in the mud and, and took some dirt and breathed and it became a living being, the first Adam. And here he is and God is crying. God is weeping because it was never supposed to be this way. He created an Adam and an Eve who were never going to die, never going to have a cancer or a divorce, never going to have a funeral. Then sin came in. And Jesus, God, weeps. He's broken with us about death because death was never supposed to be. And even if you don't yet believe in God this morning, when you are broken by death, by injustice, it's your soul telling you there is a God and he made things and it's not supposed to be like this. So if God didn't create death or pain or suffering, where does it come from? Here's where. There's an evil enemy behind all devastation and destruction. There's a real enemy who's unseen. Scripture tells us we wrestle not with flesh and blood. Our war is not against people. But with unseen forces, there's a real spiritual enemy who Jesus called the prince of this world. And he is a destroyer. In fact, Jesus said this just a few days before Lazarus' funeral. He said, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Why did Jesus come? To do the opposite. That we might have life instead of death. And that we might have a full or abundant life. Who's the thief? Scripture calls him the divider. He splits things apart. Scripture calls him the accuser. We know him as, as the devil or as Satan or as Lucifer. And some in our day and age say, well, I'm too sophisticated to believe in all that devil stuff. Okay, then where does evil come from? It's got to come from somewhere. I mean, can you honestly look at a, a situation like December when a, a young misguided boy takes a semi-automatic weapon and goes into an elementary school and takes the lives of people. Can, can you really look at that and say there's no evil in the universe? Evil is real. And Satan is a deceiver and he loves nothing more than for us to live in our air-conditioned homes and drive our air-conditioned cars and rent our movies and go to work and think that this world is not infected and broken because it is. And it needs a savior. You see, it's not just us that cry out to be rescued and made right by God. It's the entire planet. In fact, did you know that scripture tells us, along with us, when we grieve in the face of death, all creation groans. Because, you know, the weather patterns before the fall of sin, they didn't start wildfires that would kill people. They didn't create tornadoes and hurricanes. Do you realize that on every level, the world we live in is broken? 
There's no such thing as a totally perfect marriage in this world because our capacity for relationships is broken. There's no such thing as perfect health because we're all going to die because our bodies are broken. And our planet is broken. And scripture tells us in Romans 8, the, the whole creation, the actual dirt and soil and clouds and raindrops and oceans and moons and suns, they are affected by this evil. And they groan for the day when Christ returns to make everything right. Well, how's God going to do that? How's he going to make everything right? Well, he already started. And much like those 19 heroes of ours, he ran straight into the fire for us to protect us. You see, God gave his life for us to give us two things. God gave his life for us to give us hope in this fallen world and eternal life in heaven. God gave his life for us to give us hope in this fallen world and eternal life in heaven. You guys remember in Colombia when those miners got trapped three miles underground? I think it was in 2010. And for the longest time, they thought the miners were, were uh, that none of them had survived. And then one day a drill bit came up to the surface and written in red letters on that drill bit was, um, we are alive in the refuge, we're, we're alive down here. And in that moment, the world responded to rescue these miners who were trapped three miles underground. NASA came in. All these huge drilling uh, corporations from all around the world, these multinational corporations, they all came in and they put together a plan to do two things. First, we're going to sustain the guys while they're down there. We're going to get them food and water. Secondly, we're going to rescue them out of there. You know that when God looked down at humanity and when he saw us trapped in the darkness of sin and evil and destruction, he didn't walk away. He didn't turn his back. He didn't say, well, humanity, that's what you get for choosing to turn your back on me. No, he, he gave his son to drill down into our world to do the same two things. One, to sustain us in this broken, fallen, dark world. And two, to give us eternal life. God gave his life for us to give us hope in this fallen world and eternal life in heaven. You realize that God, he's a comforter, but he's also a rescuer. Or a savior. He's both. And Jesus told us, in this world you will have trouble. Jesus says to his followers, hey, when you believe in me, I'm going to give you eternal life. But while you're still in the world, you're, you're in a fallen, dark, broken place and you're still going to have trouble. So, so keep your hope that I'm going to rescue you out of that. And until I rescue you out of it, I'm going to give you the strength and the sustenance to live down there. Why did God leave us down here, followers? So that we can tell others there's a way out. Sometimes when we preach God's word and Jesus says in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. There's no way to God except through Jesus. Sometimes people say, well, that's really narrow. And they're, they're correct. 
really narrow. You know, when, the, when that three-mile shaft was drilled all the way down to rescue those miners, it was very narrow. It was about this wide. And, and there was a tube that was designed to fit an average man in it, and they would drop this tube down there. The way out was really narrow. Most ways out are narrow. But the way out was open to everybody, and it's the same with Jesus. He says, whosoever will believe... Yeah, there's only one way out, but if you will believe, it's open to you today. Can you imagine a miner trapped down there, the rescue tube coming down, and him saying, well, that's fine and good for the rest of y'all, but I'm going to find my own way out of here. And, and that's what we do with God. You're as, that mine shaft, it was 120 years old. There were other mine shafts around there. A, a miner could have gone off searching for a way to the surface. Never would have found it. And in the thousands of years of human history, there's lots of so-called paths to God. But there's only one that actually reaches the surface, and it's Jesus. And God so loved us that to drill down to us, when he knew it would cost his own life, that he would have to die on the cross for our sins, he said, I love them so much that I want to give them two things. One, hope and purpose while they're down there in the darkness. And two, eternal life to rescue them out of the darkness. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, Jesus Christ, so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Okay, don't... These people who say they're Christians, who say Jesus came to condemn you, Jesus, what does the Bible say? He didn't come to condemn you. We, we were already condemned. We are in a fallen, broken place. And we have fallen, broken hearts. But Jesus came to save us, to give us new hearts, to take us to a new place. Now, as we grieve the way that Jesus grieved, it's going to take us months but my prayer for you today is that you don't leave here without some hope. There's a verse in 1 Thessalonians 4 where God says, those of us who believe in Christ, we still grieve because death was never supposed to be, but we don't grieve as those who have no hope. And I've seen some people this week who have no hope. And it's a sad, dark place to be. And God put us here first so we can find our hope in him and then so we can tell the people of Prescott about it. So as we close in prayer, I just want to ask you two things. In this tragedy, in whatever you're going through in your life right now, have you turned to God as your comforter? To say, God, I'm down here in this fallen, broken world, and it hurts, and it's hard. I'm not going to turn away from you. I'm going to turn to you to comfort me. Have you done that? And then secondly, have you turned to him to say, God... I know there's a life after this life. And Jesus, I believe you're the only way out. And Jesus, I want you to be not only my comforter here, but my savior for eternity. Let's pray those things together now, Father. God, we find hope in no other place today but in you. Thank you, Lord, that you are not a figment of our imaginations. You are real and you are powerful 
And Lord, in the darkness of the last seven days, we have seen your warmth and your light and your power. You are at work in our community. God, many of us in here, we've prayed for years that you would make Prescott a literal city on a hill and a light to the world. And even though I don't think you sent this tragedy, you are turning it for good. And here's Prescott on the national news as a a light to the world. And we pray, Lord, for our brother and sister churches. We pray for Heights. We pray for Pastor Ron. We pray for those involved in so many of these memorials. Would you strengthen them to be your light to a dark world? Would you strengthen us? Father, right here, Lord, every man and woman in this room, I just, Lord, spiritually, I want to put my arm around them. I know you're comforting them. You're with them. And Lord, we just, We turn our eyes to you. Would you comfort us? That this world is not our home. It is fallen and it is broken. And you're going to give us the sustenance we need to make it through down here. So Lord, we look to you as our comforter. And Jesus, we look to you as our rescuer. We believe you died on the cross for our sins and that you rose again that you have defeated death and the day is coming when you will destroy death once and for all. So Lord, we trust in you. We place our hope in you for our own salvation and Lord, for our community that your kingdom would come, that your will would be done in Prescott. Use us here. Comfort us and send us out as your comforters. Send us out as your rescuers that we would lead many to this way out of salvation in Christ. Lord, we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.